Well, good morning. We are in the middle of summer, and it's warm. Isn't that great? It looks like summer is here to stay. We're in uh, the middle of a series called Faith Journey. We're in chapter 21 of Genesis today. If you grab the Bible in the pew or in the seat in front of you, it's page 15. Life demands faith, doesn't it? Every phase, every situation in life. This summer I've attended a few weddings, performed a few weddings. Did a wedding for my first cousin. He's 65 years of age. His wife passed away a number of years ago of cancer. And this summer he remarried. It's an act of faith. Our second daughter, she's... 24 years old, and she got engaged this summer, wants to get married at the end of October. That's an act of faith. Marriage is always an act of faith. Maybe you just started a new job. Maybe you're engaged in a new business adventure. You started a new study program. Well, that demands faith. Maybe you're new to Vancouver. You've moved across the country or across the globe, and here you are in a new place, and it demands faith. Maybe you're new to Willingdon Church, and you wonder what it will be like to enter this church family. It's a walk of faith. Maybe you're new to the Christian faith. Jono was talking about children that have come to faith this summer. We had a youth team in Harrison Hot Hot Springs a couple of weeks ago, and seven young people gave their lives to Jesus, and so they've started this new faith journey. We had a short-term mission team in Germany. They were working among refugees, and four Muslim men came to faith in Christ. This faith journey, it begins with faith in Jesus, and every phase along the way, every situation will demand faith. Hebrews chapter 11, it contains a long list of people who walked by faith. And the first verse in chapter 11 of Hebrews is, Now faith is the assurance of things hoped for, the conviction of things not seen. And therein lies the challenge. If we walk by faith, then we're hoping for things that we have not yet received. We believe God that will will fulfill his word, but we have not yet received what he has promised. There are things we don't see. That's why it's a walk of faith. Sometimes while we're waiting, we resonate with Proverbs chapter 13, verse 12, which says, hope deferred makes the heart sick. And we wonder, how long, Lord? Those listed in Hebrews chapter 11, they're in that list because they kept their eyes focused on God. In the midst of unknowns, in the midst of risks, they continue to walk by faith. And the question this morning is, do we want to be found on that list of people who walk by faith? Chapter 12 of Genesis, God makes a promise to Abraham, it follows a call. God asks him to leave Ur of the Chaldeans, to leave his land, to leave what's familiar to him, to leave his clan, his family, and to go in the direction of a land that God will show him. And along the way, God makes promises to him. God says, I'll make you into a great nation. In fact, all of the nations of the earth will be blessed through you. Every family on earth will be blessed through your lineage. God makes promises. 
Abraham's first recorded words to God are in chapter 15, verse 3, and he says, Behold, you have given me no offspring. God, I don't have a son. Is there something wrong with Abraham and Sarah? Has God made a promise that he cannot keep? Why so long, Lord? Why do you not do what you have promised? The very thing that God has promised, he has not done. Sarah is still barren. This reality has stared them in the face since they began their marital life. In fact, the first paragraph in Genesis, in chapter 11, which narrates the story of Abraham. It begins in verse 30 of 11 saying that Sarah was barren. She had no child. And now as we enter chapter 21, after 25 years, this is still the reality. Even though God has promised repeatedly that Abraham and Sarah will have a son, chapter 13, chapter 15, chapter 17, chapter 18. In chapter 20, Abraham and Sarah are among the Philistines in Gerar, and the wombs of those Philistine women are opened. And certainly this would confirm to Abraham and Sarah that God was capable, but why has it not happened in their lives? The faith journey It requires waiting on God. And there will be times of laughter. There will be times of tremendous joy. There will also be moments of weeping, of questioning. And there will be moments when we will just have to release everything into God's hands. And so do you and I want to be found among those who walk by faith? I believe you'll be encouraged by today's passage because it will assure us that we have every reason to continue on this journey of faith. And if you have not yet embarked on this journey, you will be encouraged to do so. Let's read Genesis chapter 21, verse 1. The Lord visited Sarah as he had said, and the Lord did to Sarah as he had promised. And Sarah conceived and bore Abraham a son in his old age at the time of which God had spoken to him. Abraham called the name of his son who was born to him, whom Sarah bore him, Isaac. And Abraham circumcised his son Isaac when he was eight days old, as God had commanded him. Abraham was a hundred years old when his son Isaac was born to him. And Sarah said, God has made laughter for me. Everyone who hears will laugh over me. And she said, Who would have said to Abraham that Sarah would nurse children? Yet I have borne him a son in his old age. What are we to notice here? Well, first of all, The Lord visited Sarah. That word visit is important. Every time it appears in scripture, God is either judging or he is saving and blessing. 1 Samuel 2 verse 21, we read, the Lord visited Hannah and she conceived. And so the word visit indicates that God will intervene. He will shape destiny here. Second, We read, as he had said, as he had promised. Why is it repeated in the same verse? Well, I believe it's repeated because we are to notice that God is fulfilling his long-delayed promise of giving a son. After excruciating tension, the promised son is born. And his birth is full of significance for Abraham and Sarah and for us. 
of eternal significance. The birth isn't just a matter-of-fact report. It's indispensable for the promises made to Abraham to be fulfilled, that he would have a multitude of descendants, that his lineage would inherit the land, that all families would be blessed through him. What are we to learn? First of all, God just keeps his word. He keeps his word. Isaiah chapter 46. Remember this and stand firm. I am God and there is none like me, declaring the end from the beginning and from ancient times things not yet done, saying, my counsel shall stand and I will accomplish all my purpose. Calling a bird of prey from the east, the man of my counsel from a far country, I have spoken and I will bring it to pass. I have purposed, and I will do it. Nothing is more sure in all of creation than God's word. Then thirdly, notice that God appears and fulfills the promise at the appointed time. Verse 2. In his old age, at the time of which God had spoken to him, three times in this passage, it speaks of Abraham's old age. God is the Lord of history and in his perfect timing, at the exact time, as promised, he appears and he fulfills the promise. He keeps his word. He's never late. Then fourth, the fact that Sarah bore the son is emphasized. Five times the word bore or was born to her. Five times reminded that a miracle has happened. John H. Walton, he's a commentator, and he writes, We must take a moment to marvel at the miracle of a child being born from a woman who was barren during her childbearing years and had passed through menopause. In that sense, Sarah's womb is twice dead in terms of fertility. It is almost as if it is not enough to restore fertility to a woman who was barren. God also waits to do so until after her ovaries have shut down. If we're familiar with Sarah's story, sometimes we become accustomed to the miraculous here. The Chicago Tribune carried, carried an article in 1981. September 8, 1981, it narrates the story of a 35-year-old woman who has been diagnosed with premature ovarian failure And she's taking hormone medication in order to ease the symptoms of menopause. And the doctors say to her, don't worry, you will never have a child. The article reads as follows. A woman whose ovaries ceased to function almost three years ago has given birth to a healthy nine-pound baby girl, baffling doctors at three hospitals. It's impossible, impossible, the 35-year-old woman quoted one of the doctors as saying when he detected a fetal heartbeat. In effect, the birth took place after the woman had gone through menopause, her doctor said. Now, if that was a miracle in the life of that 35-year-old woman in Chicago, certainly what happens in Sarah's life at 90 years of age is a miracle. Now, may the Lord be doing something similar in your life. Maybe you are here this morning thinking, oh my goodness, if God does not intervene, if he does not act, his promises over my life will never be fulfilled. 
Isn't that a wonderful moment? When you are in such a place that if God does not act, if he does not reveal himself, if he does not intervene in some way, his promises over your life will never be fulfilled. God acts in the life of Abraham and Sarah. He fulfills his promises precisely. And then notice that Abraham responds with exact obedience. In chapter 7, God asks Abraham to name his son Isaac. Abraham does this. Chapter 17, God asks Abraham to circumcise his son on the eighth day. Abraham does that. He fulfills the covenant. He responds in obedience. And then sixth, notice in verses seven, six and seven, notice the emotion in Sarah's words, her, her joy-filled response. She's awestruck. She's amazed. She says, verse six, God has made laughter for me. Everyone who hears will laugh over me. There's an obvious play on words here. The name Isaac, it means he laughs. Every time Abraham and Sarah look at their son Isaac, they'll be reminded of their unbelief. When God announced to them that they would be parents, they laughed. Every time they look at Isaac, Abraham and Sarah will also be filled with joy. And so I believe the name carries a double meaning. They not only remember their unbelief, but they remember their tremendous joy that, oh, God broke through. This is a miracle. God intervened. Remembering Proverbs 13, verse 12, again, hope deferred makes the heart sick, but a desire fulfilled is a tree of life. Sarah exclaims in verse 7, who would have said to Abraham that Sarah would nurse children? Who would have come up with this? Who would have made such a wild prediction? Who would have thunked? God, only God. Isaac's birth will always remind them that God is God. He not only makes promises, he keeps his word. He is more than able to keep his promises. First point in your outline, on the faith journey, we can expect to experience the joy of promises fulfilled. Why? Because God keeps his word. We can expect to experience the joy of promises fulfilled because God keeps his word. Sarah, she invites us to contemplate God's grace, his power, his faithfulness, And the story is there recorded in Genesis for our instruction. Paul reminds us of this in Romans chapter 4, verse 16. That is why it depends on faith, in order that the promise may rest on grace and be guaranteed to all his offspring, not only to the adherent of the law, but also to the one who shares the faith of Abraham, who is the father of us all. And of course, Romans instructs us that if we are in Jesus, then we share in the faith of Abraham. We are children of Abraham. We walk in the faith of Abraham. Verse 17 of Romans 4, as it is written, I have made you the father of many nations in the presence of the God in whom he believed, who gives life to the dead and calls into existence the things that did not exist. God calls into existence things that do not exist. He has the power to do that. What are you trusting God for today? What has he promised? 
While we trust God for eternal salvation, it is his promise, life now and forever. That is a secure hope because of who God is. He has made that promise and he will keep his word. If we are believers in Jesus, then God promises to fill us with his spirit and so we can face every situation, every circumstance in life under the infilling power of the Holy Spirit. We don't walk alone. In every situation, we can count on God's counsel and guidance. He promises to never leave us. God fulfills his word. He fulfilled his word to Abraham. The house was filled with joy. And then the life of Abraham took an unexpected turn. The faith journey continues. Look at verse 8 of chapter 21. And the child grew and was weaned. And Abraham made a great feast on the day that Isaac was weaned. But Sarah saw the son of Hagar the Egyptian, whom she had borne to Abraham, laughing. So she said to Abraham, cast out this slave woman with her son, for the son of this slave woman shall not be heir with my son Isaac. And the thing was very displeasing to Abraham on account of his son. But God said to Abraham, be not displeased because of the boy and because of your slave woman. Whatever Sarah says to you, do as she tells you, for through Isaac shall your offspring be named. And I will make a nation of the son of the slave woman also because he is your offspring. So Abraham rose early in the morning and took bread and a skin of water and gave it to Hagar, putting it on her shoulder along with the child and sent her away. And she departed and wandered in the wilderness of Beersheba. The source of Sarah's joy, Isaac, it becomes the source of Ishmael's jealousy. This is too often the human experience, the all-too-common human tragedy. The source of one person's joy becomes the source of another person's displeasure, disdain. Why? What do we need to notice in the story here? Well, first, there was a great feast on the day that Isaac was weaned, verse 8. This is a traditional nomadic clan. This feast would have been held when Isaac was about two or three years old. Infant mortality was high. And so now that Isaac has completed two or three years, the family realizes, celebrates, the fact that Isaac will live. Probably the whole family was there, the extended family, the clan, village, I remember a South Asian celebration and uh, the first son, the first grandson, he had just completed one year and so the whole extended family was there. Friends from the village were there celebrating, remembering the family lineage, remembering the importance of this anniversary of the son who would live, who would be the heir of the family. That's what's happening here. And Ishmael, he looks and he laughs. And in the context, it means that he's mocking, he's scoffing, he's making fun of. That's the understanding given in Galatians chapter 4. Why? 
Because Ishmael now realizes that he will not be the heir. Isaac, the promised son, will live. So that's the first thing that we should notice. Secondly, that old animosity between Sarah and Hagar, it breaks out again. Sarah does not want Ishmael to share in the inheritance with Isaac. She wants to protect her son's future. She asked Abraham to cast out Hagar and her son. In fact, she doesn't even refer to her as Hagar. She says, cast out the slave woman and the son of the slave woman. She doesn't even mention their names. That word cast out, it's a powerful word. It means divorce. There's a rupture happening in the family here. Then thirdly, we are to feel Abraham's pain. Verse 11, we read, And the thing was very displeasing to Abraham. The language indicates that he just exploded with anger on account of his son. Ishmael is not just the son of a slave woman. Ishmael is his son. Ishmael is about 16 years of age now. Ishmael has been in the home for 16 years. He does not want to send his son, the son that he loves, away. Then fourth, notice that God intervenes. He assures Abraham that the boy will be okay. And the word boy there, it actually means a young man in Genesis. He assures Abraham that Ishmael will live, that he will not only survive, that he will thrive, and that his slave wife will be fine as well. God encourages him to submit to Sarah's counsel because it's in alignment with his will. Verse 12 God says, through Isaac shall your offspring be named. Here God is reminding Abraham of what he said to him in Genesis chapter 17, verse 19. God said, no, but Sarah, your wife, shall bear you a son, and you shall call his name Isaac. I will establish my covenant with him as an everlasting covenant for his offspring after him. As for Ishmael, I have heard you. Behold, I have blessed him and will make him fruitful and multiply him greatly. He shall father 12 princes and I will make him into a great nation. Here in chapter 21, God is repeating his promise to Abraham regarding Ishmael. He's going to make Ishmael a great nation. And although Abraham is reluctant to follow Sarah's counsel, he is reassured by God, reassured by God that this will be for the best. And so we see Abraham struggling, (laughs) but also submitting to the will of God. He puts bread and a skin of water on Hagar's shoulder, a temporary provision, and he sends them away. You see the delay in the language there in the text. It seems that he doesn't let Ishmael go until the last possible minute. (laughs) but he's determined to do what God has asked. You see, faith in the Hebrew, it means determined action in the direction of God's will. When we exercise faith, God has revealed himself to us. He has revealed something to us that we are to follow, and so we exercise faith. We exercise our will. It's determined action in the direction of his will. Abraham acts with faith in God because he has revealed himself, and Hagar and her son, they wander. Second point on your outline. 
On the faith journey, we can endure emotional stress amid unforeseen circumstances because God keeps his word. We can endure emotional stress amid unforeseen circumstances because God keeps his word. This week, one of our members shared a bit of his journey with me, and I asked him to write it down. He sent me an email and gave me permission to share it with you. I quote, In the spring of 2012, my employer asked that I accept a new role, which involved a move for our family from Prince George to Vancouver. Neither the new role nor nor a move to the big city were of particular interest to me personally. However, after much prayer and counsel, my wife and I believed that it was indeed God opening a door of opportunity. And we made the move late in the summer of that year. The first four months afterward were some of the most challenging of our lives in several ways. And each member of our family of four felt alone and helpless in different ways. Now, interesting, this is after following what they understood to be God's clear guidance. I continue to read. I was anxiously questioning whether we were hearing his leading or if we had allowed personal pride to cloud our discernment. Should I be abandoning the corporate world altogether and serving in the mission field? One morning as I was bringing my anxiety before the Lord in a desperate plea for his guidance, I heard his still small voice whisper very simply, I'm with you, stay the course. Not long afterward, I was asked by my supervisor to undertake due diligence on a potential acquisition. During the first meeting with that company's leadership team, prior to starting the meeting, the president of the company asked one of his team to pray. The team bowed their heads and prayed together for their employees and their families, their customers, their country, and its leaders. After the meeting, I met privately with the president of the company, and we shared a bit of our faith journey. And through that discussion, came to realize that God had brought us together for such a time as this to impact the company and the many individuals it touches for his glory. And that is what is happening slowly but surely. Most of the people that work in this large company do not follow Jesus, and yet believers are gathering to encourage each other. They're finding each other. In some of the meetings, they are receiving permission to pray. I continue to quote, Notwithstanding both the known and unknown opposition that lies ahead, God is opening our eyes to how he wants to use us, where we are, and with the resources he has provided to show us his love, as we walk, one step at a time, through that door of opportunity that he has opened. This is a walk of faith. You see, the God of Abraham is our God. He is the same yesterday, today, and forever. He does not change. Whether we are in the workplace or at home, on a university campus or on the street, we can walk with faith in this God. This God who exists and who can call into existence the things that do not exist. The story of Hagar and Ishmael, it continues. Chapter 21, verse 15. When the water in the skin was gone, 
She put the child under one of the bushes. Then she went and sat down opposite him a good way off, about the distance of a bow shot, for she said, Let me not look on the death of the child. And as she sat opposite him, she lifted up her voice and wept. And God heard the voice of the boy. And the angel of God called to Hagar from heaven and said to her, What troubles you, Hagar? Fear not, for God has heard the voice of the boy where he is. Up, lift up the boy, and hold him fast with your hand, for I will make him into a great nation. Then God opened her eyes, and she saw a well of water, and she went and filled the skin with water and gave the boy a drink. And God was with the boy, and he grew up. He lived in the wilderness and became an expert with the bow. He lived in the wilderness of Paran, and his mother took a wife for him from the land of Egypt. Again, what are we to notice here? Well, first of all, Hagar, she actually weeps in despair. The water is gone. She is desperate. She is alone. She's heartbroken. She's dehydrated. That word, she put the boy under the bush, it means that she abandoned her son to die. That's what the word indicates. She believes that her son will die and that she will die. It's over. She sits alone within bowshot range, probably far enough so that she will not hear the cries of her son, far enough away so that Ishmael cannot hear her cries. And of course, the question is, who sees? Is there anyone who hears? Who cares? Ishmael's name means God hears. Does God hear? Is God there for Ishmael? Does God just care about Abraham and Sarah and the promised son? When you cry out for help, does God see? Does he hear? When you cry out for your loved ones, does God hear? Notice in verse 17, and God heard the voice of the boy. Why does God hear Ishmael? Is it because he's repenting for having mocked Isaac? Maybe, we don't know. Facing death, he probably did repent of some things. For certain, God hears his cry because he has made a promise to Abraham and God always keeps his word. Interestingly, God hears the voice of the boy here in chapter 16 when Hagar showed contempt for Sarah and she had to flee Abraham's household. She was out in the wilderness and God heard her cry. Here in chapter 21, Ishmael has mocked Isaac and now Hagar and Ishmael have been expelled. They are out in the desert and God hears the cry of Ishmael. Despite his misbehavior, God hears. And then thirdly, in verses 17 and 18, God not only hears, he intervenes in Hagar's life. He confirms to her that the God that she experienced in chapter 16 is there for her in chapter 21. In chapter 16, the angel seeks her out, finds her, and Hagar says, truly here I have seen him who looks after me, and she actually gives God a name. She's the only one in Genesis to give God a name. She calls him, you are a God who sees me. 
And now in the desert experience of chapter 21, God confirms his character to her. He most certainly is the God who sees, the God who hears, the God who cares. On some occasions, I have sat by the shrines of other religions and I have observed people trying to wake up the gods. I have sat in the temples of other religious faiths and heard the cries of people trying to awaken the gods. Hallelujah, we don't have to wake God up. God is alive, he is present, he hears, he sees, and he cares. Isaiah 59, behold, the Lord's hand is not shortened that it cannot save, or his ear dull that it cannot hear. We all need God's intervention in our lives. Maybe some of you have been watching the Olympics. Maybe you're watching more than you should be. I'm sure that you've noticed that Michael Phelps has won a few more medals. The Globe and Mail carried an article about Michael Phelps this week, uh, August 9th. I'll quote from the article. Four years ago at London 2012, Michael Phelps had begun to drift off the rails. The impression you came away with was of a person who'd lost his bearings. Phelps no longer seemed able to tell when or about what he was supposed to care. Once the most successful Olympian of all time became a punchline, no one quite knew what to do with that. Lash him, feel sorry for him, No Olympian has ever felt that descent from glory quite like Phelps. ESPN recently carried an article as well, put out a video chronicling his life. He retired from swimming in 2012. He was done. His coach, Bob Bowman, is quoted as saying, Honestly, I thought the way he was going, he was going to kill himself. One day he was drinking in a casino, and after leaving the casino, he was in his car, the police pulled him over, and he was charged with a DUI, drinking under the influence. After being charged, he returned to his home in Maryland, and he sat in his room for five days in the dark, didn't sleep, didn't eat. In the interview, Phelps says the following, I was a train wreck. No self-esteem, no self-worth. I was just so lost. What do I do now? Where do I go from here? Now this is coming from a man who at that time had won 18 gold medals. You would think that the most decorated Olympian of all time would have a reason to live. When he was nine years old, his father left his mother and he felt abandoned. And that memory continued to plague Michael Phelps even though he had won medal after medal. There in the darkness of that room, he felt the following. He says, I was in a really dark place not wanting to be alive anymore. Thankfully, God heard his cry. A friend of his, Ray Lewis, 
went over to speak with him, gave him a book, The Purpose Driven Life by Rick Warren. Phelps devoured that book. He discovered God. Discovered that he had been created for a purpose. He reached out to his father. They were reconciled. He just, three months after reading that book, he decided to marry his fiancée, Nicole. They're now married, have a child. Even someone as successful as Michael Phelps needs to know that there is a God who sees him, who hears him, a God who exists, that has created him for a purpose, that gives him a reason to live. Because gold medals aren't enough. He's won another five. I think it's 23 now. But even Michael Phelps only has a reason to live if there is a God. He needs to know that his life has a purpose. You need to know that. I need to know that. Every human being needs to know that. Does God have a purpose for Ishmael? Remember, God had made a promise to Abraham regarding Ishmael. He said it to Abraham twice. Now in chapter 21, he says it to Hagar, Ishmael's mother. I will make him into a great nation. He is not the promised son through whom all of the families of the earth will be blessed, but I will bless him and I will make him into a great nation. And the good news is that God keeps his word. He not only promises, he provides, and he opens Hagar's eyes, and they see a well. Ishmael becomes a nomad in the wilderness, but he also becomes the forefather of desert tribes. God keeps his word. You see, on the faith journey, we can entrust our loved ones to God's providential care and his purposes because God keeps his word. We can entrust our loved ones to God's providential care and his purposes because God keeps his word. The God who speaks to us speaks to them. The God who reveals himself to us reveals himself to them. The God who provides for us provides for them. On this faith journey, in this mix of of joy and jealousy, of faith and doubt, of love and disdain, God is unchanging. He is true to his character. He is dependable. He is gracious. He is faithful. He intervenes. He keeps his word. He accomplishes his purposes. And so the question for you and I is, do we want to be among those who walk by faith? Do we want to be found on that list of those who walked by faith in the God who created the heavens and the earth, the God who exists, the God who calls into existence the things that do not exist? One thing is sure. If we seek God, we will find him. The beauty of the faith journey, the essence of it, the glory of it, is that we will meet God. That's a promise, not from me, from God himself. Hebrews eleven six, and without faith, it is impossible to please him. 
For whoever, whoever would draw near to God must believe that he exists and that he rewards those who seek him. And the good news is that God rewards those who seek him. He rewards them with eternal salvation. He rewards them with the presence of his Holy Spirit. He rewards them with his counsel, with his guidance, with his provision. He is with us and he will never leave us. We can face any circumstance, any situation with faith because of who God is. He does not change. The God of Abraham is our God. Amen? Amen. Amen. Let's stand for prayer. So, Father, we thank you for your goodness. Thank you that you do not change. Thank you that you are the same yesterday, today, and forever. Thank you that we can trust you. Oh, God, I pray for each one of us as we enter this week. No matter where we are, whether we be at work or at play, whether we be at home or on the street. Oh God, may we seek you. May we keep our eyes fixed on you. You are the author and perfecter of our faith. May we run the race that you have set before us for the joy set before us. May we lay aside everything that might entangle us. Oh Lord, may we hold up the shield of faith and with that thwart every attack of the enemy. Every worrisome thought, every anxious thought, every fear. God, may we deposit our faith in you and you alone. And thank you, Lord, that you are present to reveal yourself to us, to meet us where we are today. We praise you and we thank you. And now may the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ and the love of God and the fellowship of the Holy Spirit be with us all. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. God bless you. Have a great week.